Cool, so I'll just get started. Hi, my name is Darby. I work for Focus, which is our campus ministry that partners with this church. Um, so Spring Showcase is something that Focus does. It's a fundraiser to send our students to a campus ministry conference in Washington. Um, and this is where we develop a lot of our leaders. Like our ministry could not run and be as effective as it is without student leaders. Like they do most of the work, which is just crazy to think about because that's one thing that I've noticed a lot of churches have a hard time getting is college students, and we have the opportunity to really train and develop them and help them reach out to other students on their campus. So yeah, this is a fundraiser for that. This will be the 29th, um, and we have two shows. So the first show is at 2.30, second is at 6.30, and in between is an art show. So there's a couple different options for that. We have a different price for students and for adults. Um, but yeah, you can buy those tickets at anyfocus.org slash showcase, or you can buy them from our Corfas or our staff. Our staff forgot tickets this morning, so don't come at us. We can help you walk through the process of buying it online. But yeah, and be sure and invite your friends and stuff. Uh, so yeah, we have our all-church women's retreat. I'm personally really excited about this. We have a big family of churches, and at this church, we don't get to see all of our friends all the time. Um, and so this is an opportunity for all of the women to get together and really build those connections between churches. We're not like in an island. So this is something that you can do to develop those friendships. So yeah, the link is here. I believe it's on our Facebook page, too, that you can sign up through there. But yeah. If you have any questions, you can ask Leslie. I don't know if I could answer any of them, but you should definitely go. Um, and there's different prices for different days. You'll sign up on this link and then pay Leslie. Um, yeah, so that's all. Thank you. Maybe, maybe not, yeah, there we go. Uh, my name is Brad, I'm one of the ministers here. Glad to have you all here on this cloudy day. We went from hot to snow to hot again in less than a week, which is great keep you guessing. Uh, we're going to continue on today with our series on emotions and the character of God. We're out of Isaiah 40. Um, before I start, I wanted to remind you, many of us uh, kind of are a little bit disconnected from all of our other churches. Uh, we've got four other churches in like 10 other college ministries, but the Plano Church is starting this morning. I believe. That's pretty cool. That makes us like the third youngest sibling now. Just crazy, right? I mean, uh, we're the third youngest of the church plants. We're the middle child. That's right. We're the middle child. Still the youngest in age, probably because we have so many college students as a part of our church. But uh, should be thinking about and praying about that. You know, Leslie mentioned last week that when we had our giving talks, you guys really rose to the challenge of making sure that we were covering our expenses, which are pretty low uh, each month. But I want to remind you that the larger vision was for us to actually give a big chunk. I was thinking five or $10,000 to the Arlington Church uh, over the next year, just like the Garland and Wiley Church gave us a big chunk of money so that we could get started. So I want you to be thinking about that. And I would really prefer that to be a church-wide thing and not just one or two people giving uh, a big chunk, but that we all do that together. So, And we might not end up giving it to the Arlington Church. We might need to give it to the Plano Church. Um, whatever, either way. I just think that would be really cool for us to, uh, to do that. And, uh, and as usual, uh, if you don't know our kind of mantra, our mentality around here, we're very much ascending church. And so 
while Denton tends to be a little bit more of an enclave, kind of like nobody really wants to travel outside of it unless we have to work, uh, we definitely ought to always be thinking about where the next church plant uh, out of this church would go, whether, I don't know, Little Elm, Denton Part 2, Louisville, that's pretty far. I don't know if we can manage that. That's like another whole city, so... Anyway, uh, that's, that's, that's really our DNA uh, as a nomadic church. It's always great to get, you know, the 1,500 or so people from all of our churches together like we did over the, the Christmas break, but uh, that's just so that we can kind of see we're really community churches, churches that are about having small churches and being together, getting to know each other and really doing life together uh, and leading people to God. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, as usual, who's got the scripture verse memorized uh, this morning? Nobody this week. That means we don't have to preach. Oh, Morgan, ruining it for all of us. Um, go for it, Morgan. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her, um, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for our all of her sins, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the Lord... Um, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, um, and all the people will see it together. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? Uh, all the people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers will fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. Um, for the, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Nailed it. <laughs> o- overachievement status. You did the entire thing, man. That was awesome. Uh, no, it's great. I was expecting for that one. Um, yeah, great. Awesome. Anybody else? Wanna do, Mom, you want to do it? No? You don't got it? It's fine, guys. It's trying, you know. We're going to let some of you only do this once or twice, and then the rest of you actually have to carry your weight, all right? Leslie, mom, doesn't matter. Go, whichever one, whoever's got it. Yeah, Leslie, Leslie hasn't done it yet. Okay, Leslie's got it. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. I know the whole thing. It's going to take a second. It is, man. It's pressure. It's pressure when you're in front of it everybody, is. you know? It's hard. It is. Okay, Are y'all comfort. laughing like you memorized oh. it? Please. <laughs> Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service is completed. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the hand of the Lord double for her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight a desert highway for our God. The valleys shall be raised up. The mountains and hills shall be brought low. The rugged places will be made smooth. The rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All the people will see it together. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
A voice said, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? The people are like grass, and their faithfulness are like flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of our Lord blows on them. All the people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Awesome. All right, so if you haven't quite caught on, the goal is to memorize uh, all of Isaiah 40 because we're out of Isaiah 40 for this entire uh, series. And this little section's a little bit odd because uh, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's also sort of strange and almost like God's insulting us, but also kind of funny. And uh, one of the things I'll say before just trying to go into it too much, and we're not really going to this morning, we've got a whole different plan uh, prepared for you, but uh, is that sometimes... Uh, Prophets do this thing called oracles where they're just sort of like a section that kind of comes out of nowhere, and it's probably not in the right time period uh, that it's being situated. So, but not by right time period. I just mean like it's not some flow of thought that we got a, you know, like Paul writing the epistles where one idea follows another. And so this one just kind of comes out of left field and is an interesting one. He's calling our faithfulness like flowers that fall, which is definitely kind of an insult <laughs> uh, or mocking, and that they fall because he blows on them, but only he uh, and his word endures forever. Uh, so I'll just say that as a thought that sometimes these don't flow completely together. There's these oracles and prophecy, and you kind of have to take them uh, by section and try to understand in the context overall, what could it be adding to the conversation? So why are we doing Isaiah 40? Well, we're doing Isaiah 40 because we really want to talk about emotional and emotional development and maturity and how to think about emotions uh, in a way that uh, doesn't go to the two extremes uh, that our world kind of goes to uh, often. In Christianity, we often denigrate emotions as if there's some terrible, awful you know, thing to be avoided. And sometimes in society, we sort of embrace emotions as the only real thing in life, particularly in our day and age. And so we're trying to find a middle ground there and more so than a middle ground to try to go back to what does God's character tell us about why he created emotion, why he's a God of emotion, uh, and what that should tell us about how we use and think about our own emotions. All right? So the topic today is riding the roller coaster, okay? And if there's one thing that sort of describes my own experience, particularly when I was young, when it came to emotions, it was that I was riding a roller coaster it's up and down. And within one given day, I could have, you know, like the weather has been this week, you know, snowy, hot, cold, and everything else. And one of the greatest things about uh, spiritual development, uh, just uh, mental development, has been that my life has become much less of a roller coaster in terms of emotions. Uh, Although some would say, uh, you know, emotions as you get older can be more like kiddie rides. You don't have the highs that you have anymore, but that's a whole other topic. We'll talk about that later. Um, I remember being, I don't really remember where I saw this, but I, it really impacted and affected me as a kid. Not in like a meaningful way, just in a really funny way. And basically what it was, and maybe some of you remember this now, probably some of you are, no, nah, I don't know. I don't think we have too many old timers around here. Uh, old timers in terms of our church that could remember where this came from. But I think we did a jam camp once. What we did was we sent two people, I think it was actually four people out of the room and told them to come back in and whoever did the best impression of riding a roller coaster would win, okay? And we didn't really tell them what they would win. It's just com competitive, competitive. So they went out and they kind of prepared and did it and we're ready to go. 
Now, when we, they left, we told the audience that, and this is a little bit crass, so it makes me think maybe we weren't at jam camp, uh, but we told them that they're going to come and do their best impression of being constipated on the toilet. All right? So as you can imagine, when they came back in and they're riding a roller coaster, everyone is just losing it, laughing, because, you know, it's, it's sort of mixed up. Well, that was the image that came to my brain when I thought about riding a roller coaster, primarily because as someone who's not very good with expressing emotion at all, sometimes when I am in severe pain, okay, I'm communicating being on a roller coaster, super happy, super like, you know, excitable and exciting. And emotions are like that. They're really, really confusing to get to the bottom of. And I think sometimes that's sort of why we shy away from embracing emotion. We want to ignore it. Uh, But I think it's that reason that God gave us emotion, because emotion, unlike rationality, often gets to the core of something deep within us, even though we often have to draw that out and make sense of it. So much of our emotion comes, comes sort of like in a wave, and it can be up and down, and us being able to actually determine what that emotion is saying about where we're at and what we're doing is one of the real high priorities, I think, of why God gave us emotion. It's because it, ju- it gets us out of that sort of shallow living that we're in a lot of times and makes us think much deeper about where we're actually at when an emotion sort of comes over us. So one of the things that I think, and if you've been reading along uh, with us in terms of the screw tape letters, how many of you are actually reading screw tape letters? Like four or five of you. I really, really, really challenge you to do that, guys. It's incredibly helpful for thinking about this topic. And if you've been on the fence about it, the book's like $2 or something, all right? So get with it. Some of the chapters are really hard, and if you start off a chapter and you're like, this is too hard, just skip it to the next chapter. That's that's not that hard, okay? It's not that hard. Uh, So, um, screw tape letters. Read it. It's great. One of the things that you'll see in these screw tape letters uh, throughout is that Wormwood, the um, you know, devil in training, is constantly chided by screw tape for not making the patient react to the things uh, that he feels immediately. And if there's one thing that hopefully we'll learn throughout this emotion series is that emotions are very positive and helpful if we respond to them, but not if we simply just react to them. And I want to make a point about that a little bit later Um, but I want you to think of that in your mind as something, what does it look like to respond to my emotions? Meaning that I have a conversation almost, it makes sense, I'm responding in kind, versus just reacting to my emotions and sort of riding the wave of uh, whatever is actually happening. Alrighty? So, um, what is the point of emotion in Scripture? Well, obviously, there's something very important about communicating to people how we feel about them, and not just what we think about them, right? Think about one of the most powerful images in the scripture is Jesus touching people with skin diseases. He often did not touch people, but almost always touched people with skin diseases, right? There's no rational reason for that. It's not like Jesus had to touch people for his power to go out from them. He did that almost entirely to communicate compassion to people and that he loved people more than he loved himself and the risk of whatever injury or disease or whatever else he was going to experience. There's something very deep in that. I was watching Interstellar uh, on Sling TV the other day, and it's a terrible movie. And uh, one of the worst. 
But there is a scene in the movie, no, it's awful, where uh, the very rationalistic Matthew McConaughey, which is kind of a joke in itself, um, is trying to determine what planet to go to that's supposed to be, you know, the good planet. And Anne Hathaway wants to go to the planet where her lover is and has the sense or feeling and intuition that this is the right place to go. But of course, they instead go to Matt Damon's planet, which is the rational planet to go to. And it's the scene where it kind of pits thinking versus feeling. And, you know, the whole movie up to this point is all about how intuition is not, you know, rational and it's not important. And it ends up being that Matt Damon's, well, that kind of spoils it, doesn't it? it? Right? Okay, thank you. Matt Damon's lied about all of his statistics and is just there basically to get home. And so Anne Hathaway, even though she was obviously had a you know, dog in this fight, she wanted to go where her lover was, um, she, her intuition, her feeling was ultimately what led her there. And I think this is an important idea because we often tend to think, particularly in Christian circles, that somehow feeling, following your heart, is this this awful saying, we should never do it. As if God didn't give us emotions for the purpose of guideposts and how to make decisions and things. What we need to figure out more is how to think about that and, uh, and use that in a way that's really God-honoring uh, and, uh, and make sense of, uh, of these amazing things that he's given us, these things that are some days like the desert and some days uh, like a lush forest. So um, I have decided in this sermon series that it would not be very helpful for me to be up here talking about emotions all the time. Um, I'm sure you're glad to hear that. Instead, I had this idea after inviting Chad Doty to come speak, which he'll come speak in about a month, why not invite some of the original OG UNT people to come and talk to you about emotions? They're 10 years now uh, from their experience in starting the ministry at UNT. Those of you who don't know that, the real quick history, uh, I came up here in, I think it was 2010, to start the UNT ministry. Uh, there were a, a, about a number of us that were a part of that original leader team. Actually, my brother Grant, who's here with us, was a part of that original leader team. We were a freak group of people. Um, we basically illegally spent the night in Grant's dorm room, four or five of us watching Adult Swim uh, and playing ping pong over in Victory Hall, which the food was better there than most other places, right? Seriously. And uh, that's kind of how UNT focused and TW focused started. And so anyway, I've asked a number of people to come back and speak to you about certain topics relating to emotions. And so the first person that we're going to guinea pig that uh, with today is Paul Piepenbrock, all right, one of our first leaders. Paul, you can come up. And I really wanted this to be kind of an informal, I mean, we're already really informal, but even more informal, kind of an interview panel. If you guys got some questions at the end, we're going to make these somewhat short. I've already prepared some questions given to him ahead of time that he can kind of think through. Um, But I love this topic because Paul admittedly will tell you someone, he's like me, who can ride the roller coaster of emotions uh, up and down and up and up and down. And I think he's learned a lot over the years. His wife, Allie's here today as well. She was kind of an OG person. She's about as OG as my wife was, uh, which is like second, third year, you know, kind of not really, uh, but sort of, you know. Definitely Um, And she comes off a very successful career of a balloon animal uh, artist, so that's uh, pretty great. She's a social worker now, but, you know, a humble start for her. Chelsea's not even in here. She would be so mad that I mentioned that. All right, uh, so Paul's going to come speak. Paul and uh, and I and like five or six other guys had the privilege of sharing a two-bedroom, three-bedroom apartment 
at the Arbors. Um, we had, and only Austin Freeman reminded me of this morning, we had a double, triple bunk bed situation, which means that in one room, we had two triple bunk beds. And somehow Grant and I were in that doubles. room. It was three doubles. Three doubles? One no, no, here, it was, it was, one in the middle. It was double triples. We never had triple. No, we double triples, I guarantee Only you. at the house. Didn't we? Oh, okay, three doubles. Whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's still awful. While Paul and Austin had their own little bedroom. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. I don't so, even remember that. I, I was trying to think about that. So imagine this. We have a three-bedroom. We have nine guys. And at some point, we had ten guys, I think. We had a computer room where all of us would just shove into one room and do computers. And then pretty quickly after that, we had a girl's apartment, which was almost as bad, right across from us. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. So I think one of my first questions is just, uh, sort of, uh, tell us a little bit about the fun situation we had in our, our living arrangement back then. Yeah. So is this going to work with both of us being up here? Okay, cool. Maybe that's outside. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think is, uh, that is me. I didn't know that was like outside construction or if that was like me or it was me. Good job. Oh, yeah, and good job remembering this, uh, y'all, like, memorizing the scriptures. That was pretty amazing. I saw you reading off your hand a little bit, but, like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. So, most fun thing about yeah, living yeah, in yeah, the, yeah, yeah, uh, the bunk bed situation. I mean, there were a lot of fun things. I mean, I think that, like, now I would never want to do that again. But, like, back then, that was, like, one of the best times of my life, like, I actually often think about that time in my life. And there's certain times in my life I do that, but that's one of those pivotal like, times where I just think I had incredible amounts of fun. Uh, I mean, I'm 29 now, so if I want to go spend time with my friends, I have to make plans. I have like, a really, really like, detailed calendar, and I like that, but I used to be able to wake up on Saturday and I'd just hang out with my friends. Like my, like my best friends were, you know, all six of them sleeping by me. LAUGHTER <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I had a lot of fun doing that. I think that one of the earliest stories I can remember from that time, and I don't think I experienced this, I can't remember, I think it was the other room beside us, and someone maybe was telling me about it, but Chad, he mentioned Chad Doty, he was one of those guys as well, and I remember Chad, and I guess he just didn't really know or wasn't thinking through this, but he woke up earlier than everybody else because he was way more disciplined. And uh, I remember it was like, everyone was like sleeping. It was super early. And he was like opening and slamming drawers. And Chad's a very like polite person. He would never do that on purpose. But like, it was like he was oblivious to it. And like, I just remember him like, I don't know. It was just like the craziest thing. But that's what life was like when you were there. It was just like all these different personalities literally crammed together in this tiny apartment. And so there was, you know, all sorts of things that would that would happen. Like, we have a lot of funny stories about Chad. I mean, Chad Doty, for those of you who know, Doty families are kind of a, you know, dynasty family around here. But one of my favorite things is Chad would never join us to watch TV because he thought it was a waste of time. So before he went to bed, he would just over our shoulders kind of watch TV just to like feel like he got it in for like two or three minutes. And then when you'd like ask him to sit down or do anything, or he would sometimes ask questions, he'd just be like straight off to bed. Like, he just wanted to get a feeling like he was a normal person, you know? Uh, but anybody knows the Dodies knows that none of them are normal. Sorry, Michelle. That's <laughs> uh, uh, just, yeah. All right, so uh, can you describe sort of your emotional life during that time? How did it sort of impact your relationships, friendships, that kind of thing? I mean, you know, nine, ten guys with their own sort of emotions and yeah. different personalities and things like that can be kind of rough. 
Yeah, um, I'm actually very different now in some of my like preferences than I was then. Like back then, that sounded very exciting to me to be around that many guys, and now it sounds terrible. Like I'm very much like like to be by myself. Like ask Allie, like I love like being by myself. It's really weird. Um, but um, back then, I would say high highs and low lows for me. Um, the topic being a roller, emotions and being a roller coaster is very much my like life story. I'm very temperamental. Um, I, I don't like that I am, but I am. Like, that's just me. I'm very much like one day I'm feeling great, the next day I'm terrible. And if I'm not careful and I don't bring logic into the situation, I will, I go to those that high, I go to that low, and it, it, it dominates my day. And so living with a bunch of guys, um, you know, it, it creates some chaos there. And back then I didn't really know this about myself. I was like 19, 20. So, you know, this stuff I'm just kind of figuring out, like, as I live with people and, um, an example of my emotional disposition, a couple of quick stories. Uh, one would be, I remember I was like, I'm not gonna name her name for her sake, but I was kind of dating this one girl, but kind of not. I was doing that weird focus <laughs> dating thing. <laughs> like you can't, you know? And I, I remember like coming up here to Denton and like, uh, I think she had told me she was, now her, now her husband um, was gonna date him. But I remember like leaving, I like punched a wall, a brick wall, and like broke my knuckle. It's still like not the same size. <laughs> And I had to get like medical attention, like, and I was just like, that's like, I don't know, that's just like the stupidest thing, but like, it's embarrassing, and it's like, I don't know, but that was one of the. I have another story from Paul. Uh, Great. So, back. Well, first of all, by the way, focus for some of you. Well, sometimes we use this word, but you know, it's our Fellowship of Christian University students ministry, our college ministry. Oh yeah. Because I saw some faces, like focus. What's that? Um, but uh, the antique mall, the one that burned down, actually, unfortunately, which is where I had one of my first dates with my wife, Chelsea. Uh, I'm pretty sure Paul almost punched my brother Garrett in the face one day when we were hanging out there. So, which, uh, you know, if you know Garrett, uh, it's just like you don't even, yeah, you don't even blame Paul. But, uh, yeah, give you a sense of, of kind of Paul and oh, anger yeah. and things like that. So Honestly, asking like my friends, like asking Grant or Allie or someone, they'd be able to tell, or Austin, they'd be able to tell like probably a lot of stories about I don't know, just seeing things, but like I used to also like vanish for like week, like a week at a time. I, w I would be <laughs> like if it was a really stressful period or something like that, or something happened, like an acute moment. Like I just didn't handle things well, and like usually express his anger. Most of my like um, stress is, is 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 shown as anger. But I would like go and like be gone for like three days, four days, and like wouldn't tell anybody. I was on like a leader team, and so like I wouldn't tell them where I was. <laughs> People were like, dude, what was this guy dead? Um, but yeah, that was kind of, kind of where I was at. <laughs> and I still deal with some of that stuff. I still have to fight some of that stuff. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that's really interesting and one of those things I remember from those years are just, uh, Paul's always struck me as someone who's incredibly funny, uh, and deals with a lot of his emotional issues, both healthily and unhealthily, like many of us do with just humor. So I was just going to ask you, you know, sort of what role does humor play in kind of helping you and, and uh, hindering you in your emotional maturity? Because I've always thought Paul's like one of my top five, I think, funny people who I think is just incredibly funny. Uh, his dad is actually probably number one, but... Um, <laughs> what, was it? what did my dad say? <laughs> yeah, that's probably not appropriate. Uh, yeah, so, no, no. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, um, yeah, just the, the, the humor part of things, uh, just kind of how that's... Uh, that's yeah. Uh, for helping, um, I think that... I was just talking to someone. Like, I think if I couldn't, like, be... I don't know, make fun of things and bring humor situations. I, 
I almost like just like wouldn't like want to like exist because I, I feel like most of my life is surrounded around humor and being able to like lighten the load a little bit and seeing someone that is an anxious person like being able to like laugh at yourself uh, for one and just not being afraid to you know I don't know, be stupid or be laughed at or um, I think kind of helps me to not like get so worked up and uh, I also just really enjoy making people laugh. Um, like no one doesn't like to laugh. No one's like, oh, laughing sucks. You know? <laughs> so I, I don't know. I really enjoy that. I think it's, um, I guess it helps me cope. Cope is not really a good word, but like, I guess, exi- like, I don't know, get through life a little bit. I guess that's the same thing as coping. Um, but it does hinder me in some ways. And I realized that actually talking to Allie, um, I was having trouble kind of think of how it like hindered me because I'm usually pretty good about like knowing when, when to not joke about things and when not to and being pretty like socially aware but I see, she was mentioning, like, whenever we're, like, having a serious conversation or argument or something like that, like, I can be pretty passive-aggressive. I can throw sarcasm in there with, like, a truth, but, like, because I was sarcastic, you can almost kind of jump back from that, like, truth that you delivered and be like, oh, I was just kidding. You know what I mean? To kind of safeguard yourself. And so I've said some things that were, like, things I should have talked to her more appropriately um, and been more, like, serious about, which it would have been fine to express it like that, but because I delivered it in a way that was like with sarcasm and humor, like it didn't sit well. And so I'm, I'm like learning more. Um, There's a chapter in Screw Tape Letters. It's really technical, but really, really good. And it's all about humor. And he breaks it up into like four kinds of humor. One of the things throughout the book that they talk about is just if you can't, you know, I don't have ability to really make fun of yourself. You're kind of deluded about who you are. That what goes with introspection is ability to really like make fun of yourself and to joke about who you are um, and to just kind of see yourself in, in a, a light. But uh, one of the other things he talks about in that is like, he's like, you know, it's, it's funny about English humor that you can, you know, uh, go to lunch with someone, pretend you forgot your wallet, have them pay for you. And if you don't laugh about it, they're mad about it. But if you like make fun of them for, uh, you know, doing it, then all of a sudden it's a joke. <laughs> and he just talks about how we have this tendency to like, you know, make jokes out of things that really aren't such great things just to sort of like um, hide our guilt or honesty. And I think that's sort of what Paul's getting at. And I'm just glad I don't experience that at all. I don't have that problem myself. (laughs) Um, The next question I had for you is, who do you think is more likely to make it to heaven, you or my dog, Asher? (laughs) Asher? So Asher has been through a lot. And at one point, me and Austin were home and... Our next door neighbor, who's like in kind of an old school, just you know, like he grew up with very different than me, I'll say that. He's warned us before he's got horses that Asher, because Asher would, you know, try to herd these horses from beyond the barbed wire fence. And we'd even get over sometimes through barbed wire and through electrical fence. But, and so this guy would come and warn us, like, hey, you know, your dog's getting over here. He's like running my horses down. My horse is going to fall. It's very expensive, you know. Um, and so, uh, one time, uh, Asher uh, got through, and my neighbor, ca- the neighbor came over and was like, hey, I shot your dog. Um, do you want me to finish it off? Or <laughs> I was like, oh. And so Austin and I were like, It's a great oh, sense of humor. Oh, my gosh. Our neighbor. Yeah. So good. Yeah, he was like deadpan. Like, uh, and Austin and I like went out to the backyard, and it's Asher hobbling back after being shot by a shotgun. So me and uh, Asher get, you know, or Austin get in the hospital and whatever. But that was Asher. That was a moment for Asher. And before that, I'd say Asher would never have gotten to heaven. But now but like, one, it yeah. changed him. Like if you ask people after, Asher became a very sweet dog, and yeah. so his heart's really in the right place. And so, yep, it's yeah. a good point. Um, 
So uh, how have you learned to respond and, and kind of guide your emotions uh, over the years and not just kind of let them take you over? You know, we talked about reacting to emotions. I, and I, I, ha- I hesitate to use the word control emotions because, you know, it's like controlling our thinking. I mean, I think we do a sort of guiding process, but I'm not for sure if we can really ever control that stuff. But I do think we can respond and guide those thoughts you know, as the Spirit sort of enables us. But yeah, so uh, just what have you learned uh, in terms of responding and guiding your emotions and not letting them take you over? Right. I mentioned earlier how like I can give in to my highs or my lows. I know that about myself, but it still exists. I just have to bring logic into the situation. And I think the biggest help to me was first in, uh, started when I uh, got a mentor. Um, I spent a lot of time with Ronnie, who's the senior pastor over in Garland, and uh, just kind of helped me think through some of those things and someone that was willing to like... Um, be real with me and um, help me to, I don't know, kind of think through that. But like now, um, I think it's best portrayed like with Allie, um, I think because you have some of your most serious conversations with your spouse and there's a lot of like just strong feeling and emotion there. So you have to learn to really kind of tame yourself and like learn to like listen when you're really angry um, and not like give into that. Because like I have, obviously my feelings are relative only to myself. I have no idea how strongly you guys feel about certain things in your life, but I just feel like I have a very intense, strong, like, feelings, um, and, uh, yeah, I've had to really kind of learn to think through the consequences in the moment. Like, when I'm having a serious conversation, like, in the moment, like, don't say something stupid, Paul, because, like, then you're going to regret it, or then, like, it's, you know, it's going to hurt this person, but bringing more logic and trying to think through like the end versus just like that one moment, like right then and not being so reactive. But like, I don't know, I guess I would just say trying to, I guess, think a little more, you know, instead mm-hmm. of just, instead of just react. Yeah. This one for me, as I was thinking about it, um, I mean, the, the mixing thought and uh, emotion is an important one, but one of the ones for me that's helped a lot is just kind of putting of uh, articulation to a lot of that anger uh, or emotion, being able to just express it. Um, because sometimes when you express something, it sort of, you hear it almost like it's someone else's voice, and then you realize, wait a second, that's sort of silly. <laughs> Inside, it, it's, it's not tested, it's not judged, uh, it just sort of goes on as you don't really pay attention to whether it's right or wrong, but as soon as you voice it, uh, especially to someone else, you can kind of start to begin to think about it in proper ways, so I think that's been helpful for me. Um, so, how has how you think about and experience emotions sort of changed since graduating college? Um, the second part of that question is, you know, sort of what do you still have to grow in as an adult, mm-hmm. um, you know, besides living up to how funny you were in college? I kind of heard and kind of didn't hear you said, so I can't laugh at it really. Yeah. Wait, what's so the first part? The, the first part is, with, you know, how have you, you know, uh, you're just kind of thinking about emotions um, changed since you've, you know, been uh, out of college now for about six or seven years? And then, you know, what's still kind of one of those big areas that you have to grow in as an adult? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, changed quite a bit in how I I think about that. I think that um, I kind of, I guess I kind of talked about that a little bit about bringing more logic into it. You're talking about how... um, yeah, just what are some of the bigger struggles you have as an adult, you know, dealing with your emotions? I know, I know for me, just, you know, growing up, it was like, or, or in college, you know, a lot of it was just being able to, like, handle and deal with in a really positive way. One of the harder things to me as an adult is dealing with sort of, like, 
stunted emotions, emotions that are more like you, you don't feel them as often or feel them as strongly. And <clears throat> sort of seeing that still as like, um, you know, how do you, how do you uh, get to the bottom of some of the, I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm, I'm making this up, but as an adult, it just seems like negative emotions are easier to come by than positive ones. Uh, I could be crazy. And maybe that's just as a depressed person. Uh, but negative emotions just seem to be, and they're duller, which is almost less fun. At least when I'm like super angry and like super depressed, I have like a sense of just how awful things are. When I'm like constantly moderately depressed, I'm like, man, can I just be really depressed for once? I know that's not funny because no one's laughing, Uh, but that's my mind, uh, you know, sort of thinking. So I think there's some challenges with, you know, graduating and kind of being in a uh, an adult yeah. situation where your emotions kind of change. So I don't know. If you don't want to answer that one, you can just answer what no, you no. still have to work on. We want no, to know. But as an adult, um, I'm just kind of drawing a blank there. I was trying to look at my questions because you went, you went a little bit out of order in your questions. I did. I changed them all up okay. just to mess you it's up. Okay. Um, Make it more natural. Yeah. It, yeah. But uh, as I got older, um, I think the consequences are different. Like I mentioned, like kind of vanishing for a few days. In college, you can make up you can make up coursework, and like you're also kind of still a kid in college, so you can kind of get away with things a little bit. Um, but as an adult, like that's not as like acceptable anymore to do that. I mean, you can't vanish for a couple of days. Can't and vanish just... and see. Ali can't be like, eh, "Where's Paul?" Or like, my boss can't be like, "It's okay." Like, he'll make, like he'll make it up. Yeah. You know, like incomplete for this week. So no big deal. Yeah. Uh, so the consequences are different, which changes like obviously the. Um, obviously can't do that anymore, but um, I guess as I've gotten older, looking back on, I guess some of those things just seem more foolish to me, and I don't know if that's just like part of getting a little bit older, and I mean, I think anyone in a certain period of their life can look back, you know, five, ten years and think the things they did, and it's pretty easy to look at some of those things and be like, oh yeah, that was dumb or foolish, but at the time it was really real or, or whatever it was, whatever thing you were dealing with, and that's kind of like, I guess where I'm at, like, I still feel those same things, I want to do those same things, I want to go run and hide, um, you mentioned depression, that's one of the things that I've kind of dealt with the past like 10 years of my life and that's been, you know, a common thread throughout this whole thing. But, um, yeah, I think, I think thinking of those consequences and I think, uh, being an adult, um, just realizing that like when I have a kid one day, I cannot do the same things that I didn't call. Like, I can't do the respond and cope the same ways I did. I have a lot more responsibility and people who I need to take care of. And, uh, it's not just me that I have to you know, worry about anymore and realizing that the things that I do affect people around me as much as I, don't think they are. I have to kind of get out of my own headspace and realize, like, you know, I care more about, like, doing people around me in those times than I do myself, because, actually, I have a funny story. I got to mm. tell this. Okay. <laughs> One time, and I was, uh, I think I must have been, like, a junior, and this kind of goes with, like, not caring about yourself. Like, I was super stressed by the situation, and I was trying to cope with my, like, uh, stress and anxiety. It's really, really stupid, but I, like, and it's not, I don't know, I'll just share it. But I went and I bought a pack of cigarettes. And I had never smoked before. I just kind of like, whatever. But I like went and bought, bought a pack of cigarettes and smoked the whole pack. <laughs> <laughs> like in a row. <laughs> like as I walked around campus as like a 19-year-old. Like it was like, you're just like super like upset at like a situation. So you're just like, I'm going to do something that like, that's not good for me. And it's like, I did that. And like, looking back, it's just like, and it's really funny, but I remember walking around thinking, I hope no one from Focus sees me. <laughs> but, uh, You're like smoking as you walk? Oh or? yeah, I was walking around, it's nighttime. I was walking on campus and I was just like, 
after one after another, and I, I didn't get sick. It's just like people are like, you didn't get sick. You smoked like twenty cigarettes. I was like, yeah, I just you know whatever. Did you ever have more than one in your mouth at a time? <laughs> no, uh, I like I was like six. I'm just playing. Uh, six of them. Oh, okay, six. Yeah, yeah. good, good, good. But uh, so I don't know. You kind of answered this, but maybe even more. What do you still have to grow in as an adult? <clears throat> you know, besides living no, at yeah, no, how but, funny you were in college. Same joke. No so, yeah, twice. Sad, twice. <laughs> uh, Real flat. Again, time. it goes with uh, my relationship with Allie. It's my wife. Um, I'm really bad. You mentioned this. I'm really bad expressing my emotion. Like I, I just, I'm so afraid to. And I used to not be like this. I used to consider myself like a romantic person. I don't consider myself that anymore. I'm like given into like that idea of what like a like a, a man should be like in our society. Kind of like rough and like doesn't want to share like I don't know ooey gooey things but like I realize like Allie needs those things like it's appropriate and I kind of have to like again like it's not about me it's about like how I'm going to take care of her but also even in my friendships like being able to express how you feel to your friends is super important um, and it's not weird it's actually people usually really appreciate those kind of things or even coworkers like telling them like I think you're really good at what you do. And like, people just don't really do that. And that's really hard for me, but it's mainly because I'm afraid to do those things. And I, I don't like that fear holds me back in that. And so that's something I'm really trying to work on is being more expressive with, vocally uh, um, with her and with, with people as well, making sure people know that I really care about mm -hmm. them. Yeah, it's kind of the sociologist in me for a moment, but I think some of us guys, and I think this affects girls to a lesser degree, but... Um, you know, tend to think about not being expressive as sort of like a strength. It's really not. It's actually the exact opposite. It's a weakness. It's an inability to get to the bottom of how you feel and express it. And, um, and that's just a weakness. And it's, it's, some of it is just because our culture doesn't really teach guys how to talk about emotions. Girls kind of develop an ability to do that pretty early and then just keep it a lot longer. So some of us guys need to just sort of learn that that's, that's just a weakness. It's not actually a strength. You may think you look tough, but you actually are that like, you know, man and a uh, man and little kid in a man's body acting. You're, you don't look tough. You think you're tough because you're thinking from a child mentality, and that's one of those things I've had to kind of remember and realize a lot uh, is it's a weakness primarily because you don't know how to communicate what's going on. You don't even know how to internalize and think about it, and that's just a weakness straight up. Uh, and so learning kind of how to deal with that, I think, is, uh, is really important. Yeah, and I think if you, if you are like that, like me, you have to ask yourself why you do that. And if you get to the bottom, it's because you're afraid. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm not, but I see what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, right. No, Brad, no, Brad's not. Yeah. But I'm afraid. Yeah. Brad's actually really afraid. Yeah, okay. Have you guys seen Brad's hands? They they're always, always black. Like, they're like, like always dirty, <laughs> no matter what. No, they're not. This is Brad, like the whole like you know manly thing. This is why he does that. He actually doesn't work on cars. He dips his hand in dirt, and he's like, and he's like has like dirt in his hands, but he doesn't actually work on cars. Hmm. Uh. So, uh, let's see. Moving on through some of these other questions. Uh, who do you think's funnier, you or my wife Chelsea? Oh, me. Okay. She won uh, <laughs> best comic of the year at AMO or something. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. Uh, and would, if you have to do that, you're not funny. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> would uh, Would you be interested in a comic battle or no? Right now? Okay, no. Got it. 
Got it. All right. Um, was there anything that you uh, wanted to add that would actually be helpful? Oh, uh... <laughs> I'll just mess with you. <laughs> uh, so, um, any questions? Uh, just as we, as we end up here. Uh, yeah, Margo. Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, get the mic so that Ask everyone... Ask me some really weird questions. I love those. <laughs> Embarrassing ones. Get the mic so that uh, people can hear and so that we can, uh, we can record it, okay? Be easy on me. Um, so as you were, like, developing, like, um, better ways to express and handle your emotions, what would you say were some, like, pivotal, like, advice that you got or, like, practical things that you would say really helped you in that development? Yeah, I mentioned having a mentor. So that was like the single best thing. And every mentor is going to, you know, tell you a little bit different advice. But someone older, much older and wiser than you are, um, obviously, who has lived a, you know, admirable life, like someone that you, you know, thinks, yeah. But I, I, specific things he's told me, I mean, I've met with him so many times, hard. But uh, one of the best things that he's told me, and it stuck with me, and it's just straight up, he says, Paul, don't be a big baby. Like, that was the, the, one of the biggest things for me. It was like, Oh, it really hurt for me to hear that. But like, that's what I was being in some of those times and how I handle was being a big baby. And I was like, I don't want to be that or be thought of as that. And like, I need to like learn to, you know, figure things out. And so not resorting to those old, old ways of coping was just kind of that blunt statement of like, Hey, mm -hmm. like, it's time to grow up. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that's so helpful in emotions is, and I think one of the reasons we get, we tend to kind of have this negative view of emotions is because <clears throat> emotions often unearth a lot of just sin struggle in us. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's a good thing that they do that. You know, one of the, the lessons I've had to learn from probably the same mentor is just stop being so selfish. Like, you know, the freedom of like not having to think about myself so much. We're taught in society that every feeling you have is sort of important. And, and the suggestion is almost that your feelings are more important than other people's feelings or your reality is more the reality than what other people see uh, your reality to be. And so just being freed from being so selfish with how I feel about stuff mm -hmm. um, is important. And I think that's why God gave us emotions so we can, you know, partly got to get to the bottom of things, but also just really deal with sin struggle and deal with it, you know, in a way that's effective and not just we're thinking through how to be better, but we're feeling our way through how to actually be better in it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Austin. Kristen. Um. Oh. Uh, I wanted to ask about like the balance between, you know, you talked about processing your emotions out loud with other people. So like relying on other people to help you process your emotions. Like, is there, how can we find the balance between like, you can only, I don't know, you can only like handle your emotions with others. Or you're dependent on others versus oh, yeah. like emotionally processing with God and how that. That's a good question. I think you mentioned processing with other people, but that's also super important for me. Um, yeah, there's not like a black and white answer to that. Uh, I think sometimes for one person it can look one way and another another way. I think you have to be honest with yourself. And if you are like just strictly relying on people, I don't think it's bad to necessarily rely on people for certain things. I mean, we're a community here and we all have strengths and weaknesses. But if you know that about yourself and you have good friends, utilize, this as, utilize that as a resource. And if it's healthy for you and healthy for that person, you believe that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, but you don't want to feel like, obviously, a dependence on one person and make it unhealthy like that person has to be the person you talk to because let's say that person moves away, who's going to be that person then? And also, you don't want to leech off of one person. Like, you always be the person that's you know, giving them like the hardest, really hard conversations. I think that it's good to have people around you, but I think you kind of have to um, bring that to God to an extent and try to be honest with yourself. But 
I don't know that I, I don't have like yeah. a super like black and white answer for that. I think there's a couple things. One is you gotta realize when you know number. Well, okay. One, often when we feel stuff, we just sort of vomit feelings up. And vomiting feelings and vomiting thoughts are pretty different. Vomiting thoughts is kind of like, okay, these are ideas. I'm in, these are, I'm in passive. I'm in, they're impersonal, whatever. When you vomit emotions on someone, that's really, really tough for them to handle, and it becomes very overwhelming. And when you're not prioritizing or things like that, it's just not always very healthy. And the closer they are to you, the more they can kind of wade through what's real, what's not. But the less close they are, the more that's really a burden and it's not very effective. Number two is. And in sharing with people emotional things, a lot of times what we're trying to do is manipulate people to help, and we don't even know it always, uh, to make us feel better hmm. in the situation. And uh, and you know, so if someone tells me oh, I'm super depressed, and you know, and I'm like, well, gosh, that I start feeling depressed for them, and then I start asking questions about like, well, okay, so tell me what you're feeling, and it's like they're not really super depressed. It's just that's what they're communicating, and so we've got to be really, really careful, and I think honest and introspective about in our talking to people about emotions, how much is the conversation manipulative, whether we know it or not? Like, how true is it really, you know, based on facts and evidence? And how, um, you know, is it just something I'm kind of feeling one day to the next? Because there's, there's, you can cry wolf with people pretty quickly when it comes to emotional conversations. When you're one day to the next saying you're this way or that way, and people begin to kind of distrust what it is you're saying, it becomes harder and harder for people to really, you know, you know kind of talk to. Yeah. Chelsea, you have something? Oh, question. So, sorry. Oh, okay. I did because you raised your hand and you're always saying things. I thought uh, you were going to say something about the, whole, like, the funny thing again. <laughs> Good. So, uh, Chelsea, and then Austin Daniel. I'm going to think you want to. Eh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like I... So, mine good right now because um, it is, I always have good questions, so they're always good right now, and because it ties into what you just said. So, you guys... That, that, that wasn't funny. <laughs> She's trying. She's trying. Here we go. go ahead. Okay, so you guys have talked about, is this me? Oh, you guys have talked about like managing how your emotions affect other people and understanding your emo as you mature emotionally, like my emotions affect people around me. How do you manage kind of the opposite effect when you're working with someone who makes you feel very angry, makes you feel really hurt or sad, like they are affecting you emotionally. And I think like, you know, Instagram psychology says you don't have to be around people that make you feel a way you don't want to feel, but I don't know if that's necessarily like godly wisdom. So how do you guys navigate? Like if you're, you maybe you're more emotional or more temperamental, how do you navigate and manage the way other people make you feel? Oh, hmm. uh, some of you guys know junior Is junior here today. No, his older sister came to work for me about, oh man, I don't even know, 13 or 14 years ago when I was doing uh, after-school care, and nobody liked her. I had a staff of about nine, about 170 kids. Nobody liked her, okay? Because she was one of those that comes in real strong, I'm going to fix everything, but she's at the like, lowest rung, and people are just like, who are you? Like, why, why would we listen to you? Now, I liked her because she was kind of a better worker uh, than most of my other workers, but at the same time, she put off this attitude that was very, very off-putting to all of them, who were somewhat lazy, but still it ended up costing you know, more work. And so rather than just sort of deal with her um, directly, I tried my best to get some of our uh, staff to just have some kind of light conversations with her uh, about it. And some of the advice I just gave them, and this was just a long time ago, but it was, I think, super practical, is like, so the next time that she says you know, something kind of in a meeting like that, start with a question and not with a scoff. <laughs> 
and that can help uh, improve the conversation. Uh, uh, actually, ask her. Okay, so what do you mean by that? To clarify, because I think what ended up happening is she came across as a lot more like opinionated than she was. She just grew up in like a protective environment and was kind of the mom of the family. And so, by asking questions, it often helped my staff. Um, I don't know, just kind of see what was behind the questions that she was, or the directives that she was giving. So I think asking questions uh, to people is kind of really helpful because so much of what makes us angry about what other people do is about us and about us misinterpreting what is actually they're doing or saying. Now, there are cases where people really are not great to work with and not fun. Uh, and I think that's really tricky in terms of how to have conversations about that. Sometimes you can't have a direct conversation with someone. But being able to go to a mediator or a middle ground person who, seem, who can maybe help, a boss, uh, a mutual friend, that can be pretty helpful. Um, but I just know a lot of the situations that I've been angry at people, it's often, as much as I've tried to paint them as wrong, uh, it's been a lot about me dealing with my own anger uh, for whatever reason and, and uh, kind of learning how to, to get over that. So that probably isn't a satisfactory question or answer. No, that's yeah, good. Good, thanks. Uh, so John and then Austin, then we're going to finish up. Okay, well, what are we going to do, all day or questions? Fine, fine. Let's make these quick. Um, so since emotions are given to us from God, what are some healthy ways to submit our emotions to the Lord rather than letting them kind of um, give way to sin and uh, the negative aspects of emotion? How can we submit that to the Lord? Hmm. Next. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just playing with you. <laughs> no, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the submission process just happens from treating people like Jesus would treat them. I mean, it's it's not, I think sometimes we have the sense that, you know, I've got to respond to my emotions in the, like, most perfect way. I mean, emotions are really confusing and difficult, and they don't always make sense. But when my standard is I'm going to react or, I mean, respond to this emotion by, you know, being like Jesus, uh, whether that's anger or fear or anxiety, then uh, that's going to be like the kind of starting place there. It becomes a constant standard for me, uh, you know, to, to deal with. I mean, I, it has to become sort of second nature. I, I cannot tell you how many times a week my anger is like, not just subpar, but like, what's like a lot more than subpar? Yeah, right? Like underground, oh, that's already what South Park means, I think. I don't know. Anyway, and I can notice a slight change in the last probably year and a half if I've actually I've started working on anger to just think in my mind one quick thought, can I imagine Jesus just saying what I just said to that person or acting? I've, I've had this idiot new neighbor next to me keep parking his stupid long trailer in front of my bay door. And... Like, he doesn't understand, no matter how angry I am at him, to stop doing it. And last night, I was going to my shop, and he goes, hey, man, can I talk to you? And I just shut the door right on his face. Uh, this is not helping the situation, okay? I, I can tell for sure my childish anger. I'm not going to say what I did next. This is even more <laughs> childish. Um, yeah, I started a car and revved the engine real loud. No big deal. Uh, I just want to make sure they know I've got cool cars, too. Um, so is not dealing with this situation effectively. And, uh, but, you know, the thought keeps popping into my mind. Would Jesus do this? And I think if we don't have that kind of mentality, there's no hope that we'll get any different because otherwise it's just about my own kind of standard. I'm still real far away, uh, no doubt. But, yeah. Guys, real quick. Sorry, Austin and then who? 
Beck, yeah. No, no, we got to have the mic. Austin first. Um, yeah, just wanted to know what y'all's thoughts are on... Um, I know personally I really struggle with things like apathy, just not feeling emotions, not caring. Um, what y'all's thoughts are on that, like how to maybe cope with that, uh, get past it, uh, dealing with that, etc. Yeah, that is an emotion. Uh, you know, the idea of apathy. Um, uh, it isn't lack of emotion. Um, that is emotion. Sometimes it can be anger. Sometimes it can be anxiety. Um, sometimes it can just be depression. Um, I get that way a lot too. A lot of mine comes from both a weird mix of depression and anxiety. Like depression, I don't want to do anything, and anxiety, like I need to do something, and uh, I just get like apathy. Nothing happens. Can I help you. Uh, so I think seeing that that uh, you know, and particularly for a lot of guys, they feel like there is such a thing as lack of emotion, and there really isn't. It's just lack of expression of emotion, which we've already talked about as weakness. Uh, there is no such thing there, and I think that um, even when we gender, you know, make certain emotions gendered, and so if guys you know, are are seeking towards being non-emotional. Uh, as if that's like a you know a high point or a good thing, it's it's just a facade. There's no such thing. Um, but I think for apathy and emotions, a lot of that just comes back to either depression that needs to be dealt with, uh, or just selfishness and an inability to really care what other people feel or think. And some of that can be personality disorder too. Um, but I feel apathetic towards a lot of things. And you know, at my worst, it's the kind of narcissistic personality. My life's the only thing that matters. My life's boring right now, so everything's boring. I should be bored. I should be apathetic kind of thing. Does that make some sense? Probably not incredibly helpful, but I'm also rushing through these. No, Last one, Beck, and then done. You guys have yeah. so many questions for this one. I mean, I guess Paul did such a great job. From now yeah, on, we're gonna interview. Either that or we didn't answer anything, uh, and that's why you have so many questions. <laughs> I'm really struggling to figure this out. So, Beck, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, so my big question that I wanted to ask, is Paul mentioned like him having an argument with like Ali or something, and like him saying like something truthful in a way that was like sarcastic, but it was still truthful. How do you have like confrontation that's healthy and healthy emotionally right. but is more so in the responding sense and not like the reaction sense, I guess? Yeah, and that's just a chicken move. I do, sorry, um, I do it all the time. I mean, that, you know, for a long time, I had this like stage where all I did was like challenge people by using jokes. And I realized in my mind, I was like justifying it like, oh, this will be easier for them. That. And I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> this will be easier for them. It makes more sense. But actually, it's just kind of a chicken way of not really being vulnerable and saying, listen, this is got to stop. It's a, it's a way of like, like Paul said, backing out. It's a chicken way of doing something. It's like asking someone out and being like, but you know, I mean, oh, it's, it, you watch that bodybuilder movie with Mark Wahlberg uh, yeah. where he like steals that rich or kidnaps that rich guy, you know? Yeah, pain yeah. pain or gain. And he asked that one really, really cute girl out, uh, and she's just like totally rejects me. It's like, just joking, you know, like <laughs> kind of that thing. That's a lot like what the sarcastic stuff is. It's just like a way to, to kind of self-protect. And so it's, um, yeah, it's, and even if it does work, it's not the full force of it. So someone's going to be able to interpret that as, oh, he wasn't that serious about it in the first place. So you're not really accomplishing anything. It's like a half step in the right direction. We're going to be done now, uh, but since you guys are so interested and hopefully know that I'm not the authority, and Paul's not the authority, that we have a lot of people in our church who not only do this for a living, uh, but also have a great perspective uh, from just their own experience and from their workplace experience. This needs to be a constant conversation that we're having throughout our weeks in our small groups about just what does it look like as a community to really develop emotionally. I'm amazed at, by the, the time that I spend with people uh, just kind of in, not our church community, but our, our greater community about just how many emotional infants there are uh, in our world around us. 
and how much room we have uh, to spread the good news of the gospel, which is you can grow up out of this emotional state. I'm convinced that one of the main reasons why people look back at their childhood and college and think those were my best years was because of what we've been talking about with emotions. Those were the times I felt like I remembered the most positive you know, emotions and not near as many of these negatives because they haven't learned how to grow out of uh, those, those emotional states. They haven't learned how to have positive emotional uh, kind of energy and dealing with those things uh, in their adult years. So uh, we have that ability, and I think that's, that's pretty awesome. We're going to take communion now, and what that looks like around here is we just get up, and there's three people in the back, and we'll take a piece of bread, dip it into the juice. We're very celebratory around here, which is not at all to be counter, um, you know, reverent or uh, dismissive. Uh, we just think that a lot of times the um, the communion meals were really celebrations, and they call them love feasts. Uh, and uh, while we're not getting a feast of any measure, uh, we are celebrating Jesus, and we're happy. And if you need to be penitent and kind of sit and think, and if that's the tradition that you're from, please do that. And hopefully our loudness won't be too much in the way. Um, but if you have a, a question or just something that's come out of, of this uh, conversation, then please ask someone real quick about it. And if they don't have time to answer, that's fine. They can think about it. You don't have to you know, accost them with, hurry up and give me an answer for this. Um, but I think that would be really helpful. So I'm going to pray, and then... Uh, uh, hopefully you guys will thank, join me in thanking Paul for coming this morning, him and Allie. Uh, they missed the first church plant uh, of their church just to be with us, which is pretty awesome to come back and, and share this with you guys. So, I had no choice. Okay, yeah. That's <laughs> pretty true. Lord God, thank you uh, for just touching us when you didn't need to, um, for communicating your love and compassion to us. Uh, forgive us when we paint you as an unemotional, uh, idealistic, rationalistic person. Uh, you cried when you looked at Israel, uh, said that you wanted to gather uh, her as a hen gathers her chicks. Lord, you care deeply about us. You want us to care deeply about you and about the people around us. So will you help us do that? Will you help us uh, model what it looks like to be emotionally mature and, uh, and at least to be growing in that um, every day? We thank you, Jesus, for modeling that for us. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.